Hi, Vivian, and welcome back to the Rescue Tales podcast. Hi, good to see you. Lovely to see you. Really enjoyed our first chat. So I'm delighted that you've agreed to come back and chat with me some more. Today, we are going to be talking about a topic that I know so many dog guardians will find really helpful barking Um, but before we get into the nitty-gritty of what barking actually means and how to you know understand why our dogs are barking and what to do when they do bark or if to do anything at all tell our listeners a little bit about you what you do your background okay so hi i'm vivian arzumanian the name of my training and behavior consulting business is pumpkin pups dog training I have been formally training with dogs since 2005. Didn't know I loved dogs as much as I do uh, until maybe 2001, maybe even a little bit before that. Why do dogs bark? Help us unpick that. Because I think, you know, we were talking before we hit record that a lot of people tend to just kind of perceive barking as this annoying misbehavior, but it has a function and it's a natural part of how dogs communicate. So help us explain why dogs bark. Okay, absolutely. So barking is in dogs genetics, the way talking is in human genetics. It's a form of communication. And until recent times, the barking that dogs did was very welcome. Now that we live in an urban setting in apartments or houses that are close together, barking becomes a nuisance. And because it feels like a nuisance, we tend to want to just shut dogs up instead of look at why they are barking and address those issues to help reduce the amount of barking that we have. But I think it's important to understand that it is an important communication function for our animals. In in prior times, dogs were used for, and they still are, of course, for hunting, for herding, for guarding flocks, for many, many things. And when we bred these dogs to have a purpose, their barks were to send the fox away to warn the farmer that that help was needed because the fox or the wolf or someone was around to possibly compromise the flock. We are happy to have a guard dog who barks and sends people away who might be interfering with our person or our personal possessions. And so those barks have an important function. They also can be a way for dogs to tell us that they are distressed about things. Dogs will bark if they have separation issues or they will bark if they're frightened of something. So, and they will bark just to tell us which what which is something that they were bred to do, that something is happening that they think we should pay attention to. Hmm. So those are some of the, the reasons that dogs bark. There's one, one observation I made at the dog park that I sometimes take my dog to is there's quite a few dogs who are quite obsessed with playing ball, who will sit with the ball or whatever toy they have and bark nonstop at their owners to get their attention to say, hey, throw this thing for me. So it's almost just a demand, like I want this now. Right, and demand barking is actually one of the types of barking that we really try to work on to teach dogs 
that there's a better way to ask Mm. that isn't so annoying to humans, because clearly it's not annoying to the dog who's doing it. They're having a great time. They're saying, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. So definitely that is something that we can work on by teaching the dog to ask for things in other ways. Usually not at the moment that they are barking at you like mad for the ball because their brains are not very open to learning at that point. But in less distracting situations, there would be ways to teach a dog to sit to say please, to when you sit and keep your mouth shut, I pick the ball up and I throw it for you. If you bark at me, I walk away from you as if you are invisible. Mm. Because if we try to say, quiet, quiet, quiet a hundred times, or I'm not going to throw the ball for you until you're quiet, the dog is just getting reinforced for barking as you're communicating back to them about Mm. the barking. So there's some nice ways to deal with that. You touched on a really practical tip there, though, that, you know, just ignoring the barking and then rewarding the silence by giving them the thing that they want so is that about capturing that just waiting for that moment when they're quiet and yes then giving them and the thing actually what we really want to do if we can is if we can preempt the barking hmm. so give the dog what we know they want before the barking starts that is even better hmm. because in trying to teach them what not to do, that's really harder than teaching them what to do. So if the dog drops the ball and you know that there's like even only five seconds before they start barking, throw before they bark. Mm. And if you can throw before they bark very consistently, and then when they, when occasionally you wait too long and they do start barking, you immediately withdraw your attention and walk away and then they get quiet. And then you turn around, pick up the ball and throw it again. That helps them. So first we're teaching them how we want them to say, please. Mm. Then when they make a mistake, we say, can't do it for this, but remember that other thing that you were doing? Mm. Now you get it if you do that other thing. Yay, Mm. smart dog. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Let's talk about alert barking, because this, I I mean, I know from experience staying at my mom's place sometimes, she has a dog who I've mentioned lots of times on the podcast, she's a little cockapoo. She's a Mm. small dog with a very, very loud voice. And every time someone either rings the doorbell, walks by the house, you know, any, any kind of noise she hears outside, she instantly starts barking and she's very, and it's nonstop until whatever trigger has, has gone basically. And I right. found that the only way to calm her down a bit is just to say, her name is Lulu is just say, Hey Lulu, what is that? Are you trying to show me? So, and I'll go to the door and Right. And I know you can't necessarily do this every single time. Maybe this is the wrong approach. Tell me if I'm really mucking things up, but okay. I will go be like, Hey, show me what we you know. What is it? And I'll go to the door. If that's where she's barking right. at, looking at, right. and I'll, I'll, I'll open the door. And often there's no one even there. Maybe the neighbor has gone home and I'll be like, see, there's nothing. It's fine. And, and that tends to calm her down. Great. So that is a good solution. Also other things that can be done if there are 
particular things that happen during the day, like the mail is delivered Mm. or the garbage truck comes and it's on kind of a schedule. Yeah. Right. You can be ready and with some food. Mm. And the second that Lulu hears the garbage truck or even alert, you know, it, it can be an ear twitch that says, I know the garbage truck is coming then you kind you can put words on it and say, Lulu, it's the garbage truck mm. and toss a few pieces of food on the ground for her mm. so that she starts to make, first of all, she hears your voice saying, oh, you know, thanks for letting me know, but it's nothing. And then she also gets a few treats that say, oh, the garbage truck coming, that is a good thing, mm. right? And you can start to kind of chip away at some of the, emotion that is in that alert barking and once that happens and the dog starts to make a more positive association then very often what will happen is they might maybe Lulu will hear the garbage truck but she'll and she'll go bark 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 oh it was the garbage truck do I get some treats? And then she's going to get a few treats and the barks will be less emotional. They'll Mm. be shorter. They'll be easier. She'll be much easier to distract from that wild barking that she does now. And it's very, unless dogs become deaf, I have one who's doing that actually. And her alert barking is much better because she's hearing less stuff. Mm. But she is also the dog that used to circle the dining room barking in a very concerned and worried way about a lot of things. And I started simply throwing food at her head every time that happened. And she started to, she got to a point where she would then go bark, bark, bark and run to see me for a treat Mm. instead of this protracted and very emotional and worried kind of barking that she was doing. Mm. But it works for happy barking also. And then once you have the dog's attention, if you think that it's likely that they would go back to barking, then you want to keep their attention a little longer. You want to ask them to sit. You want to ask them to lie down. You want to give them something to chew on or play a game with them for 30 seconds with Mm -hmm. fetch or tug with a ball so that we just shift their mindset and their emotional Mm -hmm. temperature, as I like to call it, so that they can calm down and stop barking. And one thing, and you might be about to ask me this question. Should I let you ask me the question? No, you go on. (laughs) Okay. Because when I tell people about this, they always say, but isn't the food going to make my dog bark more? Was that going to be your question? It was certainly one of them because this is, this come, this is a recurring theme with different sorts of behaviors is, you know, like, if my dog is like rules of my dog, for example, sometimes has a mind of her own, like many dogs do and decides, actually, I'm not going with you that way. I want to go that way on the walk. And I'm like, well, I need you to come this way because I've got work meeting I need to get to like now. And sometimes I will give her treats just to get to come with me. And some people said to me, well, aren't you then just reinforcing that when she wants a treat, she can be stubborn and just try go pull you the other direction. I'm like, well, right. 
not necessarily like I think it really depends on the sequence of behaviors and exactly yeah that's exactly you have you know so much I I get I I have the privilege of speaking spending time with people like yourself Vivian who have taught me so much and also I think just lots of experimentation and just applying the things that I'm learning and and just taking into account that like dogs that they are individuals just like we are and you know, one approach doesn't fit everyone. And you have to, the point you made about the emotional side and the emotional experience that a dog is going through when they are, particularly if they're alert barking and they're worried, I can't imagine like what, how frustrating that would be if, you know, I was at home and I could sense some, something like a, you know, someone outside the house, like trying to break in. That's what I think is happening. And I say to my partner, Hey, is he someone's trying to break in and he's just completely ignored he's like just can you be quiet can you just be quiet and I'm like yeah but I can I can hear I can sense them something's wrong something's dangerous danger is coming and he's just like can you just be quiet please just be quiet I'm busy now I would just I, I don't know it's like making me anxious just to have you describe that <laughs> and that's but that that I mean maybe that's how they feel like I always try and I say, like, put yourself in their paws right like yes. Yes. How, so and just, I do think yeah. that that is really true that, mm-hmm. you know, and we get ourselves into trouble by not, and this is not anthropomorphizing because we know so much from brain scans of dogs and their emotional responses mm-hmm. based on brain waves and, you know, all that stuff, which I do not know the ins and outs of, but I have certainly read about, you know, that their responses to stimuli are very similar two hours. And so, and it isn't just an input output, like they're a machine, they are a living thing Mm. that if they didn't have emotions, actually, they wouldn't survive. Because if they weren't really afraid of something, but they were acting like they were afraid, Mm. they would end up dead. Yeah. So that's a, that's a really good point. But let's circle back to the question that you asked yourself about the food. (laughs) And does that reinforce the barking? So as you were saying, the timing of the food really matters, right? And how we use it. So for, I would say for 99% of the dogs that I see, if the food comes at the right time, so the food needs to come after they are aware of the stimulus when we're talking about barking, right? They have to understand that the garbage truck predicts food, that the mailman or male carrier, male, woman, predicts food, that the things that set them off mean a treat is coming. And that change, that can change their emotional and their behavioral response where, because you are providing the food. Mm -hmm. So they need, if they want the food, they need to come to you and check in with you to get the food. You, mistakes can be made. If let's say you had an automatic feeder and it was on a timer and you knew that something was going to happen at 10 o'clock on the dot and at 9.58, the automatic feeder fed the dog, the food, the feeder would come to predict the trigger and would cause the same kind of anxiety, potentially cause the same kind of anxiety or reaction that the trigger does because it comes before the food. And I mean, before the trigger, the food Mm -hmm. comes before the trigger and it becomes predictive Mm. of the trigger. 
So, so timing of food is very important. So when you talk about your dog who sometimes wants to go in the opposite direction, the ways to work on that, and it, the same would be for barking, when you're getting to a corner where you know she might think about going in the opposite direction, you might start engaging with her mm. with happy talk and food and, you know, jolly talk her around that corner and past that decision point mm. and help her just keep moving with you. If you miss that moment and she's already, you know, headed in the opposite direction, you could make a choice of not fighting her about it and just letting her go. Or you could stop and wait and just say, you know, we're, we're going this way. We've got to keep moving in this direction. Got to get home. You know, and you can say all those things to her. And at the point at which she loosens tension on the leash and sort of starts to pay attention to you, good girl, a treat, not where she is, but towards you yeah. and get her moving. Right. And I'm sure that that is one of the techniques that you're using. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I find that labeling and the timing have been incredibly powerful. I had a problem with my dog Rosa with barking whenever she would see children. And then we went through a phase also when she would get too close to other dogs or other dogs get too close to her, her reaction would be to bark. And the barking was because with children, I don't know what you are. You're a strange thing. You might be threatening. Don't like you get away from me. That's my interpretation of why she was barking at them. Right. So I use labeling. So as soon as we were obviously maintaining a, a quite a bit of distance and then working on reducing right. the distance, but as soon as it's, she spotted the child, I would say, Hey, Rosa, it's a child. And I give her a treat. And over it's taken us a few months of like solid work on this. Now she sees a child, Vivian, she can get, she can walk right past one and be like, whatever, as long as it's not like on a really noisy bike or toy mm -hmm. or jumping mm -hmm. around, which I would always keep an eye out and avoid. But as soon as she sees a child now, I don't even need to say anything. She looks up at me like, Oi, where's my treat? <laughs> and isn't that amazing? And I, and like, when I noticed amazing? it, I'm like, it really works. Cause when I was first it taught really the technique, I'm like, okay, fine, I'll do it. But I wasn't entirely convinced that it would work with my dog because like, you know, everyone thinks that their dog is the most special dog and, you know, only works in very, very unique ways. But, you know, it's like human beings. We all think we're completely unique. We function in pretty much the same way, right? Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I was just like, oh my God, it actually works. The same with dogs. So she would see a dog from afar she start growling and then it would escalate to barking. And if the dog was too close, it would escalate into lunging at them. Right. Um, and I did the same thing. As soon as we'd see a dog, happy, chirpy voice. Hey, it's a dog, Rosa, dog. And I give her a treat. Now she sees a dog. She's not interested in playing with the dogs, but she will look at me like, hey, where's my treat? Like, right. dog, right. I saw a dog, treat. <laughs> so, and it's yeah. totally beautiful when that happens. And it's called a conditioned emotional response. Mm. Previously, her emotional response was bark, 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 lunge, go crazy, the closer the dog is. Now it's like, oh, it's a dog. That means a cookie. Great. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's not cheating and it's not bribing. You've really changed the dog's behavior by changing their emotion. Mm. 
And I think you have to acknowledge that they experience these different emotions in order to really believe in these techniques, right? Yes, yes, you do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think, I think labeling is incredibly powerful. And I think just on that point around emotions, and this does link to the barking is that I think there is a, there is a component of, do we make our dogs feel safe? If our response to like, every time she barks at, you know, whether it's a child or, and and obviously we as dog guys often get, you know, we feel a bit mortified when our dogs barked at someone's child. And then the parents kind of looking at you like, "Uh and it's often, you know, a lot of the time the response you know, it's tempting to respond with, hey, no, don't do that and telling the dog off. But I mean, what I've learned from all the great people like you that I've spoken to is actually doing that is just compounding that initial negative association and a negative emotion the dog has towards that, you know, whether it's another dog or a child or whatever, by telling them off and then right. feeling that you're there to protect them as well. Exactly. And, and if you think about it, if you yell at your dog, when your dog barks inappropriately, you are basically adding a negative association to something that is already a negative for the dog, Mm. right? They don't feel good about the kids. And now mom or dad is yelling at me on top of it. Mm. Now I really don't like kids. Yeah. So, yep. That makes perfect sense. Vivian, let's, let's talk about another type of barking which might also be alert barking but uh, several of our listeners have kind of said that this is an issue for them and their dog barking at the hoover ah okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> and again lulu my mom's dog does this all the time the way i address it and i'm pretty sure this isn't the right way is i pick her up <laughs> and i hold her in my arms while i hoover <laughs> if she can if if she's pickupable and you can <laughs> And you can do your vacuuming (laughs) with a dog in your arms. That is fine. It's not a bad thing. It's not going to make the behavior worse. It might not help the behavior, but it might not make it worse. So, but the way that you would work on that kind of thing is you would have the vacuum around with it it not running and the dog gets to sniff it and you sprinkle some treats near the vacuum and you start to get the dog used to having the vacuum in its environment. Mm. And then maybe you move it a little bit and toss some treats and move it a little bit and toss some treats. And this is with the vacuum, not even on. So it's a slow process Mm. of creating positive associations and also helping the dog just get used to the thing being around and being boring. And then you would do some things with the sound of the vacuum and maybe the dog is in one room with a person and the vacuum is in another room and the vacuum gets turned on and the dog gets treats and the vacuum gets turned off and the treats stop happening. And because it's really kind of annoying to have a dog barking and dashing at the vacuum and Lulu's a little dog, but what if this is a very large dog? Yeah. Picking them up is not an option. (laughs) So, you know, and other things would be to manage that situation by someone takes the dog for a walk while vacuuming is going on. Mm 
that's what we say. We don't say hoovering over here. No, sorry. Yeah, I'm using you. But it's fine. Yeah. You know, you, you say hoover, <laughs> I say yeah. that, no, and we're all good. But, you know, and or if putting a dog, the dog in another room with something to chew on that they really like. So you're not going to punish the dog, but you might separate the dog so that you can get what you need to get done done without having a very excited and upset dog pouncing while you try to work. Yeah, I mean, that 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 makes a lot of sense. I, I'm joking, just so listeners do realize I am joking when, when I'm not suggesting anyone picks up their dog to stop it from barking at the hoover. But my rationale, maybe my explaining my rationale for doing it is it's not about me picking her up. It's it's more about she sees the hoover as this scary, threatening thing. And you can see the yeah. way she's barking is that she's scared of it, but she's also scared it's going to hurt me. Or my mother or mother is hoovering. You can see, because it's it's very similar behavior to when she's being walked, because she's got resource guarding issues. Mm. And she will happily play with a dog, for example. Happily play with a dog. But if that dog comes anywhere near me, she will instantly start barking in almost the exact same way she barks and and kind of lunges at the hoover, the back Mm -hmm. of the trainer. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I observe both of those behaviors, I'm like, okay, I wonder if she actually sees this as something that's harmful for both of us. And the reason I pick her up is just kind of say like, Hey, we're fine. It's okay. And that could well be the case. You know, in some cases it's simply that the dog is afraid of the thing. And sometimes there's more than one motivating factor, which does make it a little bit more complicated. Mm. Though for the resource, if there, if the other, if resource guarding were part of it, then possibly putting the dog in a different room is helpful if they don't have, you know, if they don't have issues with being separated, which is another kind of barking that we can talk about. But the other thing that, that you, that I just thought about with the picking up being so helpful to Lulu with a small dog, if picking them up is helpful for any reason, whether it's that it's a complicated situation or not, it's really not bad to pick your dog up. And you could even do something as like, I would do this, have a a little sling, a little doggy, you know, carry bag, stick the dog in and do my vacuuming. And it might mean that you can also give her some treats mm. while you're vacuuming. So treats in the pouch, feeling safe. And maybe eventually that can transition into sit on the couch with some treats and getting some treats while I vacuum and you can relax that way too. Mm. So you have to find with, with everything, whether it's barking or any other behavior that you're working with, you have to find your point of success, right? Where you can start to work so that you can work towards your eventual Mm. goal, right? If you put Lulu on the couch right now with treats, she'd just jump off the couch and Mm. go after the vacuum, right? Mm. But if you had some steps in between, you might be able to get to that point with her. So we are at that point though now, which is amazing. So okay. Now, so it doesn't. So if I just put, if I just pull the Hoover out and switch it on, she'll go bananas. If I pull the Hoover out and say, "Hey, Lulu, come," and then she'll come. She'll. She loves being carried. Like she absolutely. She just loves. It. I've never seen a dog that likes to be picked up, and she'll like. So literally, like as if she's like a baby hugging you. It's it's, it's insane. She just loves being picked up. So, and I'll be like, come Lulu. And I just tap on my chest and she knows that means up. 
she'll, she'll jump up. I switch on the hoover, start hoovering. I give her some reassuring, hey, it's, it's a hoover and, you know, happy voice. She doesn't, she doesn't even, you know, the, she's kind of indifferent towards the treats at that point. And then I'll, uh-huh. as I'm vacuuming, I'll put her on the sofa and then she'll just sit there and stare at it. So it's almost like, okay, I get it. We're good. You get on with your hoovering. I'll get on with just chilling here, but I'm going to keep an eye on you kind of thing. That's awesome. the impression I awesome. get. So it, it, I, and I suppose that's why I say sometimes it's, again, depends on like the, the motivators and your understanding of the dog and, and all of that. But I do yeah. believe that there is an element of like, if you understand the, and the fundamentals, and again, I know Lulu's not like, I know the degree to which she can cope and where she's really triggered exactly. and that's like just switch it off, put her in another room kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But just so, sometimes experimenting no. with different approaches, even if it's not, you know, exactly as a textbook says. Right, right, right. No. And, you know, and nothing can be exactly as the textbook says, because every dog is an individual and every human is an individual and what works for me is not going to work for you and vice versa Mm -hmm. or not necessarily going to and this is you know we've talked so much about talking to dogs that I wanted to mention that there's a lovely article in the most not the most recent whole dog journal the July issue the August issue is out now but in the July issue about talking to your dog written from the perspective of an approach that came out of the family dog mediation program and it is really worth reading so I will send you the link to that because it would be great if that could get out to your listeners absolutely absolutely I will put the link to that in the show notes of this episode Um, and Vivian one of the things that you touched on very briefly was barking that happens as a result of separation anxiety and this I mean the other day there was a our neighbor has a, a, two dogs and one of them poor thing barked non-stop for at least three hours because we got home and we could hear the dog barking from down the road and it just it was non-stop till about two in the morning I actually don't it could have been longer because I fell asleep I put earplugs in and I fell asleep and I just thought that poor dog sounds so distressed right tell us right. a little bit more about that type of barking why the dog is barking and any kind of like high level advice you can give people. I know this is separation anxiety. I'll urge listeners. This is something that often you do need professional help with, but just talk us through like what's happening kind of from the dog's point of view there. Right. So, you know, in a circumstance like that, you know, sometimes we kind of need to figure out, is it true separation anxiety or is the dog Board. And there are some dogs who kind of get into sort of obsessive boredom barking, which can be, you know, worked on as well. I really do agree. And I don't want to give too much information on the separation anxiety related barking, though I do, you know, I'm, it's really important that we talk about it. But there are certified separation anxiety trainers who all of them work virtually. So you don't have to have a trainer in your town or even in your country to work with. It is a very, it's a very concentrated kind of time intensive process, 
but one that that so you were looking for someone with the designation of of CSAT, CSAP, yeah. and there are weekly spreadsheets. There's daily homework, all of which only takes a few moments, but it can be really successful. And you know, you can progress is always or usually slow initially, and then it starts to build on itself. There's a lot of science behind this process. And one of the difficult things is that dogs really cannot be left alone without, without company. So Mm. it does require a family member to help or use of a daycare or a dog sitter or that kind of thing. And it is, the dog is having a panic attack and expressing that with the barking, uh, sometimes with destruction at, at entrances and exits to homes. So chewing, on door jams, on window sills, scratching a hole in the floor at the front of the of the front door, breaking through doors. I have seen that urinating, defecating. There are a lot of symptoms, mm. but there are also more subtle symptoms. And if you think your dog might have separation anxiety, setting up a webcam or a nanny cam so you can see your dog when they're alone. That is a diagnostic that any trainer that you work with is going to to want to have to help make an assessment of the dog. Yeah. But it is really an emergency and one that should be handled as quickly as possible for the sake of the dog and the humans yeah. and the neighbors. Absolutely. It's, it's it's a tough one. I interviewed Moira, founder of separation anxiety dogs. She's one of the few separation anxiety certified trainers I think Uh across the world and she was you know every echoed everything you you just said it's time intensive it's a difficult one my dog had separation anxiety it's really hard to find because you can't leave them alone it has to be so gradual but it's definitely definitely not the type of thing that you go and google the answer to oh absolutely um, because really like it's when I will put a link to that episode because we just, we spent an hour and a half just talking about separation anxiety. And that conversation just made me realize that there is no such thing as just off the shelf advice for this sort of thing, because every dog is so different and they react differently. And it does, you know, barking is one way, but there are other signs and they might not always be as obvious. And there's really no standard advice that's applicable to everyone. But I want to look back to boredom barking. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about that and and how that can potentially be managed. So when I, with boredom barking, which, you know, I don't think we see that terribly often these Mm. days, but for that kind of barking, uh, if the dog is bored, then can you leave them with food puzzles and toys? Can you make sure that they've gotten adequate exercise before you're going to leave them? Are, are they absolutely empty? Have they had a really good, you know, pee and poop walk? Just thinking about would some calming music be helpful, which is another thing that that can get used for, though I don't want to say anything about separation anxiety, honestly, because so much has changed in the Mm -hmm. last few years with this new, newer approach that Milena Martini Price put together. So, but so for the boredom barking, just thinking about what would be calming and relaxing to the dog, if you leave them with a bone and a Kong and some calming music and, you know, your sweatshirt to lie on, you know, or, 
is it that they do that kind of barking because they're confined to a space and if they had more space in the home or is it because they have access to a window and they're barking at things outside the mm. window so and you know i don't think of that so much as boredom barking but you know kind of diagnosing what the pieces are and what might help the dog just chill out is definitely something that I would be looking at for, for that kind of thing. Yeah. Like quality of life sort of issues and enrichment issues. Yeah. That, no, that makes perfect sense. One of the things that I thought would be useful for us to talk about is, you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but often people's responses to their dogs when they're barking is quiet, shut up, be quiet, stop barking. That's that's not something that you've recommended anyone do. So tell us, tell us why. I just yeah. want us to, to be like really it's explicit kind of, about it. Yeah, it's kind of like joining in on the barking. Hmm. I mean, you're directing it at the dog, but it's kind of like you're trying to make, you're making noises to try to make the dog stop, right? And it ignores the normalcy of the behavior. So if you can normalize the behavior and redirect the behavior and help the dog go, yeah, it's just this, it's just that, it's not a big deal. Thank you so much for letting me know. Let's move on to something else. And it's kind of amazing that if you can feel that way as you're using those words, it does take emotion out of the situation and help calm things down. There can be a place for teaching a dog a quiet cue. And that could be shush, it could be quiet, it could be thank you, it doesn't really matter. You wanna pick words that come to your mouth easily and you wanna associate in, in a completely non-barking situation you want to associate that word with food. Again, with mm. food, you're conditioning basically a positive interrupter. Mm. So if I'm going to do, I like to use shush or quiet. I use them all actually. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever you're going to use, you would just stand in front of the dog with some treats and you would say, and give a treat and reach for a treat and give it to the dog, reach for a treat and give it to the dog. And I honestly believe that in this kind of, oh, shh, that the body language that you're giving, the softness of the sound, your body follows mm. what your words are saying. Mm. And it gives some information to the dog. Dogs read our body language and our emotional temperature so, so well. So if we're saying, Fido, shut up, stop it. It's enough. No barking. Eh, it doesn't take us as nearly as far as yeah. <gasps> good dog. Hmm. So having a nice interrupt that way can help. And again, when we were talking about the alert barking earlier, that kind of, you know, then distract onto the next thing if the dog's just going to go back because they're so emotional. Mm. So just to clarify for listeners, you would, you would 
use it sh- and the treats just you know not of course not when you're not trying to train them whilst they're in the middle of having whatever kind of exactly. barking incident yeah so you're just doing it as part of your ongoing training basically exactly and I I actually had I wrote it up for people as a protocol where I say take 10 treats twice a day and do 10 repetitions twice a day okay so that's basically less than a minute of your time each day. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying only do it in a training circumstance for at least a week, mm-hmm. at least a week. So if you've got seven days and 20 repetitions a day, then you've got, if my math is right, 140 repetitions in a week where you've never used it while the dog is actually barking. Yeah. Right. And, and then maybe by week two, you're going to keep practicing with nothing going on, but maybe if you feel like your dog's having a really good response and really excited Mm. about shush, you might try then just experiment and see, does it work in a moderate barking situation? And I would do this along with all the other things that we talked about already Mm. about alert barking and how to handle it Mm. so it's not a you have a number of things at your disposal to throw at that problem Mm. okay that makes perfect sense Vivian one of the things that I did want to chat with you about or do want to chat with you about is your views on things like bark collars any other harsh tools I mean I've recently interviewed someone and she told me the dog that she adopted, obviously before she adopted the, it, it, the, the previous owners had it. I can't even remember what the name of the procedure is called. Debar. I didn't even know that was a thing. I was just like, I couldn't believe that a vet would even perform an operation like that unless it, there was like a severe health risk that, you know. Mm-hmm. So just talk us through your views on those sorts of approaches. Obviously, you know, these bark collars are more accessible than 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 surgery, which no one should be thinking about in my view. But yeah, just tell us your views on, on those and the implications of using any kind of aversive tools to kind of stop barking. So, you know, I not a fan of, of aversive tools. I don't recommend them ever to my clients, nor do I, have I ever recommended debarking, which most vets are very reluctant to do at this point. There was a time many years ago where it was a more common procedure, Mm -hmm. but, you know, and debarking people should really understand that that does not give you a quiet dog it gives you a dog with a very hoarse bark. It does Mm. not stop barking. Mm. So, you know, and it sounds very strained and weird. And the, the punishment type tools suppress, may suppress the behavior in the dog, but that has consequences that we, you know, that the dog may make associations with the punishment and other things. They may, let's say they barked while they were standing next to the garbage pail in the kitchen and they become afraid of the garbage can in the kitchen and not 
so they make the association with the garbage can, not the thing that caused them to bark. Mm. Right. So you can have a dog who starts to become afraid of things in the home all of a sudden, you know, especially so, and it's similar to yelling at your dog when they lunge at something, right? It just adds stress to the situation Mm -hmm. and stress is never good. It can cause other emotional problems. It can cause health problems. And I just really encourage people to think of their dogs as toddlers because that's about the reasoning power that they have. Mm. And, you know, if you're willing to put a shock collar on a toddler, then I probably can't help you. Right. But if, when I make that analogy and you go like, oh my God, I would never do that to a child. Then I think we can say that we would never do that to a dog. We just wouldn't. If you're someone listening to this and you have a problem with your dog barking, really do try and think about their emotional experience and why they're barking. Because I find that that, like you said, Vivian, it kind of helps you, you know, if if you recognize it's out of frustration or out of fear or out of, you know, whatever, whatever emotional experience they're going through, you can react with a lot more empathy. Exactly. And, you know, I think that's a good skill for that transfers to all aspects of our life in terms of communicating, even with other people, if we can, if we can, if we can build the skill to be empathetic when we are being very annoyed by a sound that's really bugging us at the most inconvenient time, that is a transferable skill to all aspects of your life. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and there's one other thing that I, that I just wanted to say about the use of aversives Mm. for any situation that has been presented to me over the 17 plus years that I've been working with dogs, there is another intervention Mm. that is not, it's not like a a shock collar is the only thing that's going to get you what you want. Mm. There are so many other kind and humane interventions to these problems and shock collars are put out there as like this instant fix. Right. And there just are not instant fixes in life usually. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Unfortunately, we live in a world where we want instant gratification and instant results and, you know, quick everything. But Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was reflecting on this this morning as I was walking home with my dog Rosa and just thinking about sometimes I get immensely frustrated with some of her behaviors, but the one thing I do, and I start to feel like I'm really getting emotionally worked up is I remind myself why I wanted a dog in the first place. And going back to that. And for me, it was really that I had an, an emotional need that I felt only an animal could, you know, a, a, the companionship of a dog would, would fulfill. I have a partner, I'm in a wonderful relationship. I have my family, I have my friends, I have my job, but I just felt that there was something there missing. And I wanted, I wanted a dog as a companion or one of my companions. And just remembering that just made me realize that like any relationship, it needs work. any relationship and again I'm not comparing my dog to someone's partner or child at all that's not what I'm doing but what I am saying is that it is a type of relationship and relationships require good communication they require Mm -hmm. empathy they require patience and it's it is work it's not you know you bring dog home and dog is perfect there is no such thing as it's exactly like saying 
you know, I've made a new friend or a new partner or whatever, and they're perfect. Perfect doesn't exist. One of the other things that, you know, I think is important to mention before we close is that if you do have a problem with your dog barking, make sure you work with a qualified behaviorist and trainer that doesn't give you quick fixes. Vivian, you know, you've been doing this for years and years. So tell listeners about, you know, how they can find out more about you and your services, because I'm sure this is something that you can certainly be helping many listeners with who who have this challenge. Absolutely. So we actually have a virtual offering that is free every Saturday morning at 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time in the US. There is a link to it on my website, which is pumpkinpups.com. We take all, we have four to six trainers on the call, depending on who can join. And anyone is welcome to come to that meeting. And we ask that people keep themselves muted and ask questions in chat. And then we answer those questions. Sometimes we ask follow-up questions of them in the chat. Very occasionally we'll ask people to unmute and, and elaborate on something, but we try to keep everyone on mute to just to keep the, the time as efficient as possible. We cover everything. We will give advice if we feel that it is safe to give advice on a specific problem. Sometimes we will encourage people to contact us individually if things are more complicated than a simple answer. People can come every week of the year if they want to. We're not there on some holidays, but we're there Saturdays at 11 every, every, most every week. And we love to talk to people. That's amazing. If you share the link to that, I will put it in the show notes of this episode. Okay, I will do that. I will do that. Amazing. And then you also do like if someone just wanted to book in, you know. Oh, and absolutely. We're, We're totally set up to do, you know, virtual sessions with anyone, anywhere. I won't say any time because (laughs) what you commit to, (laughs) but you know, since the start of the pandemic, we moved to virtual and have, we're running virtual classes for puppies and adolescent dogs. And so, so we have a lot of, of offerings, even if you're not in our neighborhood. Amazing. I will link to all of those. Vivian, um, thank you so much once again for joining me on the podcast. So much fun. So much fun. I love this. So, well, thanks again so much, Vivian. Great. Great. Thank you so much. 